everybody knows what a cup of coffee is. But if you haven't held that cup with that particular geometry and temperature and that specific brew, smelled it, felt its warmth, and imbibed it, that's a completely different experience than just saying cup of coffee. So that's beyond labeling. That you could you could film an entire movie with orchestral music and lights and right to, to, to reflect. That's what this Instagram thing is about. About coffee? Yeah. Well, that's what the Instagram thing is about. It's it's giving you it's allowing you to create. You and I would be standing in line for tickets, huh? I would. Welcome to the QR Lab. My name's Kuldeep Tagore, and I'm here with... Amr Zeki. We are on a quest to try to understand our reality, to interpret it. And also, in the process, questioning. That's all. This is a lab. We're free and willing to engage in discussion and discuss ideas, even when we think they're maybe not quite in line with what we believe, but still we can entertain ideas and try to come up with the the better idea that's the goal absolutely absolutely so let me start with a quote from kilkegaard the great existential philosopher and he said do not label me for in labeling me you are negating me <laughs> now how would you interpret that well first of all it reminds me of uh i think it was wayne's world one where they used that quote, it was used by Wayne. Is that, point, is that yeah. true? It was funny. Actually, he says it in um, Mandarin. Dude, your Cantonese. movie knowledge is encyclopedic. <laughs> That's like... <laughs> Check it out. It's really funny. If you label me, you negate me. I'm sorry. Your question for me was... Uh, my question for you was labeling. This, this, the episode here, I think we would like to focus on is this issue of labeling. Labeling things. So what did he really mean by that? Why, why is he equating labeling with negation? Well, it, it is reductionist, right? To just assign one word to the totality. I mean, no matter how great the word is, will it really capture everything that you are? So if I say, you're happy. <laughs> or you're a bus driver. Or you're, you're whatever. You're just a bus. I, I could diminish you in that right. regard if I said you're just, or you're just a scientist. What do you know well, about I, philosophy? Well, the interesting thing is, I think what the quote at least means to me is when you're labeling something or someone, you're assigning to them a single, you know, identity when in fact they're much richer than that, right? So somebody is a father, a son, a cousin, a worker, an artist, a bus driver. They play many roles in life, right? But the minute you label somebody something, you've negated them, you've reduced them to that one thing. So for example, some people just know you as a doctor right? They have no idea about the multifaceted aspects of your creative output, your intellectual life, your hobbies. This applies to everybody, of course, right? And so we're constantly, you know, quote unquote, blinking and making judgments and labels. But we have to just be aware and recognize that we are negating many facets and aspects of people, completely erasing it from existence by not appreciating that we're just dealing with an image and a label and a word rather than the total essence of that being. Right. So it's in, in a sense, it's mathematical. 
because mathematics does this. They right. assign language. A, language does it. Well, yeah. well, I, I like exactly mathematics. Sort of takes concepts and will give them, assign them a variable. Yes, you know, and or and then a quantity to that as right. if that an equation. So right. it's a way for us to try to understand our reality in a sense, yeah. right? It's it, it kind of comes down to a lot of what we talk about here in regards to trying to get things down to a very basic level so that we can understand them but then by doing that it doesn't really explain the so the so what whole. does happens when you label a disease right do you really understand it or have you just reduced it to something that it's reduced it's reduced right but, but it has to be reduced in some sense right right you you do have to assign labels to things to of course, some degree to understand them. the problem is when we assume that that label is the own is the is the sum total or that you fully understand them. of the concept right. right that's why like in my own diagnostic thinking i always keep the the loop a little bit open i never fully close on a diagnosis unless it's like a hundred percent clear somebody which could is throw rare. in a new variable there which would make you think right could, could actually change your entire yeah that's right or the disease can evolve or another disease can emerge and it can overlap so Basically, what you have to do to be a really good clinician is you have to constantly reassess what you think you understand about that case and do it really critically. I, I, I think I remember a case from when when we were in residency together where uh, I think you observed the symptom of platypnea and were able yeah. to, to completely change the diagnosis from from one thing to the other when you saw the actual sign. I should yeah, say. yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of these cases. I don't remember that particular one. Maybe you do, but... It was, so I think it was examples. a hepatopulmonary case. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. There's, oh man, there's just so many great examples. But but it, yeah, this issue of labeling uh, has so many no so many facets. Because let's take for example something that we commonly deal with, which is when people say, "Oh, I just believe in science," or somebody says, "Oh, I just you know believe in you know what my religion tells me or what have you." Now they both have validity, right? But that process itself is also in its own domain reductionist, in its own domain labeling, in its own domain not giving you the full picture. Now, even if you included all domains of knowledge, you're still not going to get the full picture because the reality is much more complex than that. So you have to have a certain level of humility when you're saying, okay, this is what science is telling us, but I understand this is not the full picture. You have to have a healthy level of skepticism and respect for the fact that these are labels. Right, these are mathematical descriptions. They are labels. They are things. They are utilitarian. They allow you to solve the puzzle, solve the problem, give it a label, give it a treatment, whatever the, the issue is. But at the same time, it is reductionist and it is reducing the complexity of the problem right. into something manageable. But you're still somewhat in the dark. Don't we do that every day, though? All the in time. medicine, in medicine, haven't we just essentially reduced everything? You have to, right? And, and then trying to apply that to right. a, a clinical situation. Like like if you took a flower, for example, a, a flower, and you had to describe it to somebody, how would you even describe it? Or any object? You say, well, it has these, these you know, red-colored petals, and they have these little vines in them, and it flops in the wind in a certain direction that gives an essence of beauty. And and, and the, in the sun, <sighs> it has... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has different colors, right? Right, but but if you show them an image, that's and it, you, and you attach maybe a little music like you did on your um, a little movie on a, your Instagram page, yeah, a little movie, a beautiful little little vignette. Of, Photo Photoman Ten needs to go public. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it's basically a video, short little 10, 15, 20 second video 
that has a message and music. It conveys so much. Yeah, that's The only it. thing that would be better, because in, in that context, you're sort of creating the experience for the person. It's not labeling, it, right? You're, you're just well, giving them something. In, in a sense, you, you, you are a, you're applying labels, because in the social media space, that's what we do. We... Even let's let's yeah. examine this in in terms of what you presented. Right, here. right. You know, you you are signing labels. You're saying, look, this should be interpreted as beautiful, effervescent, calming, peaceful. There's there's there is just sort of a, a you are presenting something objectively, but you're you're, you're a, you you put slow motion on it. The way you sh- you you shot it, there's a certain camera movement that that accentuates right. the the it's natural beauty the, it's or natural whatever. beauty yeah. shape, and then you assign music to it. And then yeah. at the bottom, you say you, you give a description yeah. that is that is exactly labeling yeah. what you want people to see this as something dancing in the, right, in the but, sunlight. But there is an element of, of of objectivity there, and I think that that this is a really great discussion for me because it's one of the things I love about film that film has the power through through either means right there's a quote that says that politicians um you know they use they use the they use deception they use sorry they they take the truth and turn it deception but but like art takes deception uses deception to tell the truth yeah. I, I'm sorry if somebody no no knows I understand that, that. that yeah, yeah that's quote, a great yeah uh, it was actually used in the movie V for Vendetta, yeah. but the the point is just that you can utilize this idea of labeling or even even some element of deception or incomplete description to tell a truth about the subjective quality. Industrial of this. light and magic, right? <laughs> Very, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but but if you were to just just take a can, just a a shot, right? In real time, real this I think what a lot of art calls still life. They're trying to create that moment for you. Nothing spectacular. No, this is just like if you turned your head, you would see this object here. But could you appreciate this for what? Some essence about it, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's, it's very inter- interesting. There, there is a utilitarian and philosophical uh, application of labeling. So at once you recognize labeling can be reductionist and destructive and negative. At the same time, it's highly positive and useful. Because if I can label an entity, an object, a disease, a town, a technology, I've now given it its uh, location in space and time. So other people can objectively refer to it, and we both know what we're talking about, right? Which actually gets into the miracle of language, which is a whole other topic, which we're not getting it into. Um, I mean, would you say in a sense that that language, that's... Totally, all labeling. All labeling. Language is the science of labeling. I mean, it's it's and it's a mysterious, bizarre uh, phenomenon. Actually, that's a great quote there. La- language is the science of labeling. Yeah, write that down. Write that down. <laughs> Are we recording this? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the the modern genius, of course, in linguistics is Noam Chomsky. Everybody knows uh, his contributions, but. Um, um, yeah, he's he's amazing. But getting back to the train of thought is is labeling uh, mathematically, scientifically is useful. Getting around, like I said, labeling things and objects and people. Yet at the same time, when you label a thing, we talked about this actually. I think in the first uh, podcast about language and how when you label something, you're essentially taking away its essence and its being and replacing it by the symbology of that word. So, for example, you say, here's a cup of coffee. Everybody knows what a cup of coffee is. 
if you haven't held that cup with that particular geometry and temperature and that specific brew, smelled it, felt its warmth, and imbibed it, that's a completely different experience than just saying cup of coffee. Because then now you've engaged, your consciousness is now engaged with that thing, and you have become one with it. So that's beyond labeling. That you could you can film an entire movie with orchestral music and lights and no, right uh, to, uh, to to reflect. That's what this Instagram uh, thing is about, about. Coffee. Yeah. Well, that's what the Instagram <laughs> thing is about. It's it's giving you. It's allowing you to create. You and I would be standing in line for tickets, huh? <laughs> I would. No, it's 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 a good point. But but you understand what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Right? I'm just having so fun. so. That's what again getting back to movies is the ultimate. It's both constructionist and deconstructionist when it comes to labeling what movies are. It's doing both at the same time, which is what's genius about it. Film can change social constructs. Absolutely. It has the ability to do this because it is a reflection. It is an artistic reflection of our real space. I think it's a miraculous and the epitome of all arts because it combines all art. And actually, my dad had this insight, and he shared it with me years ago. He said... I said, Dad, what is it about film? Why, why do we, or you especially, love film so much? He said, it's the epitome of all the arts, meaning every single art is included in filmmaking. It's such a complex, it's like science and art in one. It's its own civilizational uh, storytelling. It's, yeah, in fact, I mean, the, the only way to tell a story. Even the hand-drawn art or the yeah. computer-designed art of, of, for example, a very popular movie that just came out, Spider-Man, yeah. Across the Spider-Verse. I mean, this right, movie right, right. crushed at the box office. Well, and and I've seen it. It's a phenomenal film for this reason in, entirely. It doesn't use real imagery of... Uh, right. Of, it's all graphic art. It, it is, but it's, yeah. it's miraculous in terms yeah. of its construction, its voice voice work, its it, the filmic yeah. angles, use of, of film. The way they present space. Music. Yeah. Phenomenal. I mean, this whole thing with, with Instagram, the experience I had just recently is... Like I see something and I get an inspiration. It's a quote or something funny, it's a joke or something that I think is beautiful. And you can instantly take it, capture that video or image, and then add music to it to reflect the emotion. Because music is magical. It's, it's, it's some other realm. It's, it's a formless, abstract, energetic art that goes straight into the heart and completely dominates your mood. Like I can take your mood and I can completely rearrange it Instant, instantly with music. In fact, these these you have to be susceptible to the music. You have to be correct, but but these images almost have no power with that music. That's why, like you can see, all of those almost one hundred percent of them have music, even a still image, because I just feel like the music is enhancing the message, is enhancing the visual. So almost each one of those little vignettes is like its own little film. Yeah, that's what's amazing about it, you know. And you're right, it is labeling, but it's also not labeling because it's giving you the space mm -hmm. to experience that and label it yourself for the way you think, the way you experience it. Well, yeah, and, and people have their own subjective interpretation of images, irrespective of how they're presented, right? Of course. So you, that's why you'll have different people walking away with different opinions about the same movie. Absolutely. You didn't interpret that the same way I did. You didn't just see the film the same way I did. Everybody comes with a different bundle of egoic life experiences, which colors the way you see the world and how you experience everything. Uh, and that's what makes the human experience unique and interesting. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about, I think, the harms of labeling and, and sort of the 
what happens when we do reduce things down. Like, for example, you know, a more a more you know trivial example could be you know in in residency, you know, when when people first saw you discussed you were on rounds with you yeah how were you how how did they come up well uh that's interesting yeah i i had different because i know you were an inc- incredibly curious person right yeah. from the beginning the yeah. first time i met you i'm like this guy is i thought you were off the charts <laughs> well, well i mean the realm of of science and medicine really is a realm of playing with ideas because you're trying to solve problems and how do you solve problems you have to conjecture ideas so in the middle of rounds i mean so the thing is like i felt free and comfortable with playing with ideas in a nonlinear fashion, because but you're a learner. Yeah, because you're making free associations. So you're, you're, but you're asking the correct. You're asking the questions. You're, you're you're asking them what. You're asking questions, but you're also providing answers. You're going in different directions. That's very different than when you sit down and write a note, which is very organized, problem based. How is that perceived? Logical. Yeah. So some people perceived it as being unfocused. Or you know, somewhat scattered, uh, but at the same time, they recognize. So were those the labels that they? Yeah, yeah. So they would. They did would, you feel like those labels carried? You know, they ultimately didn't have a final impact, but in some people, it did affect me negatively. So I, yeah. I'm just saying, I'm asking these questions yeah. because they're they're essentially illustrating my point. Even yes. Though I think it's just a more, in this case, maybe not as harmful. It was a little bit more. You know, but yeah, it's still, it's a, it's a peculiarity. It, it, it was a yeah. way. It was a way of putting you in a certain category. And by putting you in that category, it keeps people safe. Well, what happens Perhaps. is... I don't know. When you're unconventional in your thinking and in your style, people feel even stronger about labeling because they want to, like you said, create a safe space for how they're interacting with you because it's a little bit unpredictable when someone is coming in with ideas and different associations and, and, and creative thought process that is not necessarily going to impact the clinical things you're doing, but it's necessary for discovery and learning. Because how do you learn? you got to make associations, right? So you're typically taught in most of your education in a very linear fashion, logical, linear. Yet there's other ways of thinking. Of course, you need logic, you need linearity, right? But you also need free association and nonlinear thinking in order to make the best associations and discoveries and things that are maybe unexpected. So everybody has a different process. And so if you are free to share that and you don't edit as much because you're in a process of exploration, that throws some people off and says, well, you know. But then when you sit and read the notes, like it's very organized, very logical. So there is both are happening at the same time. So, yes, people can label and say, well, you know. It's part of the reason why I think that psychiatry or psychology can be weaponized. Absolutely. Against people. Yeah. And um, big ups to my... Um, cousin I met in Toronto, um, but I I do think it can because when pe- when you have behavior that might fall outside the of norm. the yeah. norm, uh, Oppenheimer I'm reading American Prometheus yeah. right now in anticipation of, for Christopher Nolan's film. Um, he was la- he he had qualities of being very depressed and um, uh, being kind of a dark. He had some darkness to him. Although he was very smart, right, academically. Oh, yeah. he, I think that's an understatement. He was exceptional across the board in, in his classrooms. I mean, right. there was no question his teachers thought he was... But his personality and mood was but, but, very but he different. But he had right. these, these elements, and it, it becomes easier to just label people. In fact, he was labeled at the time with dementia precogs, which I, I found out essentially was a term for schizophrenia yeah. in that time period. Mm. And it's interesting because I, I, I find it hard to believe that somebody who did what he did was given a label as nefarious 
as that. <laughs> well, I mean, as may, it, perhaps I, even I, being a schizophrenic. I mean, why? Like, why would it, uh, maybe I don't understand yeah. what they were actually? I don't. <clears throat> I mean, the book doesn't go into tremendous detail yeah. about that, but um, it, it's still a form of I, I, we don't understand this behavior, but we need to label it. We can't just take it yeah. for the qualities that it is and and try to understand it as its new own separate unique entity it's much easier or at least in the in terms of categorization to put it in a category and label it and say this is what it is like like take the term ADHD which i think is completely fabricated and it's it's a it's just pathology i had ADHD except that term didn't exist when i was a kid but the fact but that guess i got, has that? i was disruptive i yeah. was sent to the principal's office impulsive but yet still scoring the highest yeah. on yeah. all of the uh, standard academic achievements so they pathologize something the that's not pathology group, highest math groups yeah. uh, but i apparently would have, would have been diagnosed with this and then maybe even given some sort of medication Adderall. uh some <laughs> methamphetamine yeah. that would um supposedly help me now, I know that there are certainly cases where it has helped people, and I'm not trying to diminish that at all, but the concern still arises for the what I was talking about in terms of the weaponization. See, like, look, if somebody has diabetes and I label them a diabetic, that's backed by hardcore science. Sure, yeah. Si there's no qualitative aspect to that. There's no written criteria. There's molecular biology, a, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, there's molecular biology. We know about insulin. We know, we know about the... Glucose transportation. We know about metabolism. We know down to... There are implications to, yeah. that I can actually quantify. There are measurements that I can actually... There's nothing subjective about it. Has it has a there's mortality outcome that's very severe and serious, right? So yeah. so if I label you a diabetic, it's based on these... Scientifically And it's based important criteria. for us to do that. Yeah. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm like, right. I need to tell you this so that... Yeah. Whereas I, 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 I do have some issues with the way... not Not with the way... Uh, psychiatry is developed, but how it could be developed and has been in certain instances. Um, I, you know, another maybe I should step outside that realm, but let's let's talk a little bit about politics. Something much less uh, controversial and something that doesn't get anybody emotional or riled up. Now, let me just can I back up one second on <laughs> yeah. this? Again, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Neither are you. But so, I did get honors in med school. Well, that, that, that's fine. That, that's uh, fine. Discipline. Kudos, kudos. Get, give him a gold star, somebody. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got a gold star. The DSM three, four, five. Every time they go through a DSM manual, there's a massive increase in the number of diagnoses, it, 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 and they're you're basically that only makes sense. But they're pathologizing things. I mean, well, again, they're learning, right? I mean, yeah. the, the 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 discipline of psychology has evolved really. Since, you know, of Jung, course, Freud. I mean, but but prior to that, maybe not as organized. But medicine, kind of similar, but not as not as new a discipline as psychiatry. I think yes. I think there's a fair statement to be made that a lot of this is definitely legitimate. It's being studied, but there's other people, not just myself, who believe that a lot of some of the newer things are just pathologized, you know, unnecessarily. So again, without you know, we're not trying to bash psychiatry here. I'm just saying that. In my opinion, I think some of these things are applied uh, maybe too prematurely, especially for children who are, especially young boys who are, like you said yourself, you're you're stuck in class eight hours a day. Of course, of course, you're going to feel a little bit hyper, you know. Well, you know, it's interesting in the realm of gastroenterology. I there is a um, a condition called irritable bowel syndrome. Yes, and I do worry about quote unquote labeling people with that diagnosis. And we see it quite frequently. Because it could negate 
correct. an actual organic pathology. I mean, I'm not saying IBS isn't. It definitely no, uh, is. No, no, you're correct in the sense that IBS doesn't tend to, not yet entirely proven. There's no... What if it's Whipple's disease, right? Correct. I but, mean, but I just want to go back. So irritable bowel syndrome, there, there are some objective organic uh, lines of evidence that are, that are relatively yes. recent, okay? Th- putting that aside for a second, it traditionally has been in the realm of the non-organic. Psychosomatic. Right? So, so it's, right. And it's because, this goes back to Descartes and dualism, mm. right? So because we tend to look at things that way in, in the dualistic mm. Descartian uh, Bifurcation. Yeah. Right. So we tend to look at IBS as completely of the mind, right? Like it's complete, it's not, there's nothing in the body. It's completely of the mind. Which is completely It's completely ridiculous, a, a, right? right? Because yeah. in fact, what it is, is that there is an aspect of an interaction between the gut and the brain that, you know, creates this patho, yeah. this is pathophysiology. It's actually yeah. not. Now, do elements of psychiatry... Yes, they're involved. Anxiety plays a role. Depression plays a role. The mind always plays a role in what's going on in the gut. And I tell people this all the time that, have you ever seen the movie Creed 1? Before he's about to go out for his big match, he all of a sudden gets about of the runs. <laughs> it's, oh, a great, it's a great scene in the movie, right? They're, they're building this up right yeah. before his first match. I think it's his first match. And then he's like, okay, I got to go. And he has to go to the bathroom and has a diarrhea. Yeah. Did he just get some sort of disease? No. Did he eat something for lunch that was bad? No. Th- this is the interaction. Anxiety. Yeah. Yes. That created a actual... Physical output. Yeah. Exactly. So Absolutely. I, I, I do think there's problems with labels, like irritable bowel syndrome turns into this... It, it, it sort of becomes, for lack of a better word, iconicized as something that is just in your mind. Well, let's go deeper. Listen to the term. Well, Irritable well, bowel syndrome. Terrible terminology. Like, it's gonna can get, we please get rid of terms it, like this? Okay, it's going to get worse now. Let's go down into the dark, dark, deep hole of the abyss. Every single thing you're doing with your mouth right now to create these utterances, the utterances, utterances these it's sounds. All labels. They're just one label after <laughs> the other. More labels, after, one on top of the other. So, so how can we ever get down so, to anything? So you, so you said one on top of the other. You created some vocal cord vibrations. One on top of the other, those vibrations hit my ear. Those energetic sounds, you and I have a shared understanding of what that phrase means. Therefore, now, I know what's in your mind. So you've made some random sounds to a bird or another person from another language. It's just random sounds, right? There's no rhyme or reason. Yet, when you speak the same language, you're literally invading each other's mind. But all you're doing is using short little utterances that are representative and symbolic of some idea that somehow I'm able to understand by some miraculous process, and I know exactly or very close to exactly what you mean. All we're doing here is is a series of labels, just an incessant storm of labels, yet somehow there's meaning and semantics attached to it. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. As long as we remain open. You know, uh, to uh, to the uh, any of the labels that we're gonna about to throw out. So, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about politics because, like I was saying, so politics. Know, it's not emotional. It's not confrontational. Something, something just really easy to talk about. <laughs> no, um, obviously, a lot of emotion, a lot of things. And I think it does come from this aspect of labeling. I think it's concerning to me in our own political system that we can label candidates a certain thing, and they literally will get no. Airplay. RFK? On, uh, yeah. I mean, specifically talking about RFK Jr., who 
I've really been introduced through uh, podcasts, and it's a, it's it's an opportunity to listen to the candidate themselves speak, unabridged, un unfiltered, um, in a format Unmanaged. where they are being questioned. <laughs> There's no teleprompter when RFK Jr. is doing these podcasts, and he is incredibly articulate. He is intelligent. He's thoughtful. He has a, a it just draws from an incredible experience being part of the Kennedy family and having some insight. Now, look, if you he 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 happens to believe that his uncle JFK, one one of our most renowned presidents, was was assassinated by the CIA, or at least that there is a high-level conspiracy within the government that he he very much thinks. I mean, let's let's not mince any words about it. He is saying with with absolute clarity that that uh, you know he read a book called Unspeakable, and he says he so he'll he's very very smart with how he puts this because when you what I was about to do is just say it out loud, but when you say it out loud. I'm, I'm labeling it and I'm giving it a, a yeah. context, which I think people are just going to run off in one direction yeah. or another or stop listening or then run off into a conspiracy. This, that's not the environment that this podcast is set. We are not set in the environment. So if you're listening and your desires to do that, go do it. That's fine. We're not going to contribute to that discussion. What we're trying to do here is basically just try to get these ideas out as messy and as complex as they are. That being said, he believes that the military-industrial there's a straight line between the military-industrial complex, the the war in, in Vietnam, and the assassination of his father, and the people that would have orchestrated that or had the capabilities. Uh, sorry, his uncle. Yeah. The people that would yeah. have had the abilities to do that would exactly be, you know, a high-level, high-level intelligence organization like the CIA. He has more details that he goes into. Obviously, he's he's privy to people and interactions. So, I'm, I'm see just by even going into this, I had to do a lot of explaining, right? But because he also believes that his father, RFK, was also assassinated by there, okay. some intelligence agencies. Have you read the Journal of Neurosciences autopsy report on Bobby Kennedy? It was published in 2018. No, it did not get released till 2018. No. Okay, if you read that, it's considered by many to be like the perfect autopsy, right? Because the the autopsy guy who did it mm-hmm. absolutely said, "I do not want to happen what happened to JFK." Mm-hmm. So we are going to conduct this autopsy with with pristine accuracy. Mm. There's no way after reading that autopsy report. I mean, there's no way you can walk away and say Sirhan Sirhan did it. Right. There's just there's zero because he he was shot essentially point blank. He was shot not point five blank feet away. From the, right. No, from the back. Right. And into it, it at close range. And Sirhan Sirhan was in front of him five feet away. So it's impossible. Right. Sirhan Sirhan was probably about two feet away from him mm. and shot another guy mm. and then emptied his bullet. Uh, emptied, sorry, emptied his all the bullets in his gun. But there were there were two shots that were believed, I think, to one hit um the guy who was with him. There's a guy, another guy that was there that got hit in the head, didn't die, actually survived. And um and they say it shot Kennedy. Yeah. But there's like a shot that blew out his mastoid from the. You know where the mastoid is yeah, anatomically. Yeah. Where, where is it? Back way back. Right here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How how is Sirhan going to hit that from with a, with a muzzle burn on it? Basically, with that autopsy report, it's, I mean, it's, it's over. Obvious. It's over. Yeah. Anybody with like don't even. What's the cons? You're going to say I have a cons until this day. If you go on Wikipedia and try to see yeah. who killed Bobby Kennedy, right, it right. will say there it was Sirhan Sirhan. Okay. This is complete nonsense. Okay. Okay. So hold on. Let me let me try to bring this together. 
So forget it, man. Bring it, <laughs> bringing it back to labeling. You sort of one off on several different uh, tributaries here. The question is, well, it, it's illustrating the point of labeling and how dangerous it is, right? So what is what does J, RFK Jr. get labeled as? A conspiracy theorist. Correct. Even though the evidence is and, like very strong. And 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 news outlets, major news outlets, yeah. like the New York Times. Don't give this any credence. They're they totally zero. They're unjust. They're, it's, yeah. they're not journalists. No. They're propagandists. Exactly. Like if, yeah. Okay, look, I'm not saying the New York Times is pure propaganda, but if you are publishing a, piece, a an assassination piece it's on RFK piece. Jr., hit piece. Yeah. a hit piece on him, yeah. where you're saying these things about him without citing the evidence for it, that's a hit piece. You're 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 basically dumbing down the information to tell to label it to tell me exactly what to it's, think. It's so these agenda. are the dangers. Yeah. These are the dangers of labeling, and I think this is what Kierkegaard is. Kierkegaard, yeah. Do not label me for in labeling me, you're negating me. It is a negation. I mean, e even actually a positive label. So somebody can say, "Oh, you know, you're such a great actor or a musician or whatever." In a way, even a positive label is a negation because they're not considering all the other aspects, maybe even some negative or shadowy aspects, right, of, of the totality of that being. So, But that's okay, though, right? Just focus on the positives. No, no, you can't. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, like, yeah, yeah, of course. We, it conventionally, right? <laughs> well, conventionally, we love labels that are, uh, nobody's going to complain if you gave me labels mm. like genius. <laughs> like, if people were labeling you as a genius. I think you have to take it honestly. You got to take everything with a grain of salt because yeah. what if somebody said you're moody? Oh, yeah. Hey, what do you think of Amr? He's moody. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that conjures up you, picture in your head. You a can't dark believe it. Cloud. Somebody right? who's maybe a little unambiguous, who's who's unsafe, who who might yell at me or might you know turn away or might furrow his brow at me. That's like. Are you describing yourself? <laughs> <laughs> no, but 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 again, getting back to it. Positive compliments, negative, you know, critiques, they should be weighed properly, right? Because some of these can be very useful. They're not all true, and they're also not all false. I think the aware, balanced person has to look and say, okay, this is probably true. Maybe I got to work on these elements. And these, you know, the, these, uh, these positive uh, compliments are exaggerated as well, right? I mean... There's exaggerations on all ends. I think the reality is you just have to be realistic with yourself, with your everything, you know, wherever you are, you're at in life. So I think what's there, healthy... There's a great term here. Don't believe, don't believe the hype and definitely don't believe your own hype. Exactly, exactly. Like, like it's okay. Now, there's a difference. Let me actually flush this out. Let me point something up. There is a big difference between being enthusiastic and excited to share something versus the ego where you're trying to show off and you're like, oh, look at me, look at me. It's a completely different attitude, energy, and mental posture because there's an innocence in enthusiasm, right? There is an innocence in, in saying, look at this amazing piece of art that I produced, and you simply want to share it because you're like a child in a sandbox saying, oh, look at this. This isn't how great. Experience what I'm experiencing. Feel what I'm feeling. Because you want to share that feeling because it's such a great feeling. That's enth enthusiasm. It really means in Dios. In Theos means to be inside of God, <laughs> right? Enthusiasm. Oh, come on. You hit me with a harp? Chuck <laughs> Gracie, man. Chuck <laughs> Gracie. No, but enthusiasm in Dios, which means in God, to be swimming inside of the essence of God. Who would not want to share that, right? That There's a big difference between that 
and somebody who is doing it for egoic reasons, which is really a negative. It's actually a negative. So that has to be differentiated. So when you're dealing with people and you got somebody who's got ideas and is excited or enthusiastic about whatever they produce, there's an energy there that's very different than someone who's just, you know, showing off, which nobody likes. I mean, you'll never meet a person who likes somebody who's showing off. It's, it's such a negative aspect because it shows the deficiency in that person, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, again, labels, 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 labels. Everything is labels. The question is, what is the semantics behind the label? So what is the meaning applied to the signpost of that label? That's what it comes down to. And on that note, um, here's what I want you all to do for me. Bang! What you looking for the same thing? We're going out. This is an ode to uh, Public Enemy. For you not to believe the hype, don't believe the hype perfect timing don't believe the labels perfect that choice. people assign to you remember that there are more labels that might encompass a more clear understanding a of dictionary's it. worth yeah it's so important right so uh i guess we're going out here and uh just want to let you guys know we appreciate you listening please like subscribe pass it around comment we're out Adios, amigos. QR Lab. We want to emphasize that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely our own, and they do not reflect the official policies or positions of our employers and places of employment or any of their affiliates. Additionally, our discussions on this podcast should not be considered professional advice or endorsements of any particular organizations, products, or individuals. We're here to share our thoughts and stimulate conversation, but we encourage you to do your own research and form your own opinions.